0: We control two aspects of this experience, our attitudes and our actions. Outside of that, life is constantly in flux. Through discipline and vigilance we master ourselves. Good times come and go, tough times come and go, this is the Ebony. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Ebb and Flow podcast. I'm your host, Evan Britton. I hope you guys are staying positive, staying in the gratitude, and uh, doing the best you can to stay sane in this crazy time we find ourselves in. I have an excellent guest today. I'm very excited about bringing her in to have a great conversation. She is an ICU nurse and a mom from Central Illinois. Rita Rogers, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. did to talk to you.
0: Absolutely. So there's a lot going on, obviously, and there's a lot of fear, and we've sort of found ourselves in uh, the momentum of a narrative that doesn't really totally make sense to me. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there who are struggling with understanding what's going on and so I was really excited to get you on here to just talk about I I really I want to hit some facts first about sort of what's going on on the front lines of this thing and then you know and then we can sort of expand upon sort of your ideas about you know where we're at and where we can go from here so I'd love to take it let you take it from here Uh, Tell us about your experience as an ICU nurse um, in Illinois.
1: Yeah, so um, in Illinois, in central Illinois specifically, we have not had a surge, I can say that much. Uh, In the beginning, I would say I was cautious about the shutdown. I was kind of questioning the very first day our governor shut down the state, I was kind of questioning, you know, Is this really necessary? And then I went to work and realized, you know, we don't have all the PPE we need. We weren't stocked up with that like we should have been. It's stuff we use all the time. It's not just things we use during COVID or, you know, a pandemic. It's things we use all the time for flu and other um, patients we would put on isolation. Hmm. Uh, We weren't prepared for a surge. The things we were talking about in the hospital were uh, sort of extreme, I would say we, you know, compiled how many events we have for patients. We talked about, you know, doubling up patient rooms in our ICUs. We have a 40 beds for adult ICU in our hospital. And we were talking about doubling up beds to make 80 beds and then opening another unit for ICU. So we were talking about all these things, creating specific charting for a emergency situation where we wouldn't even chart on everything we normally do. So then I kind of backed up and was like, okay, maybe this uh, social distancing and um, isolation for a time being is a good thing so that we can get kind of footing and be prepared for our situation. And then it got extended and extended and extended. And meanwhile, we sat there kind of waiting. We're kind of like, okay, maybe it'll come next week. Maybe the surge will come next week. Maybe it'll come next week. And it didn't come. And in fact, we were low. Our census was low. Typically in our ICU, we are very full. I work in a cardiovascular ICU. So we take a lot of open heart, um, vascular surgery patients and we had stopped doing elective surgeries. And so our census was low. We were also taking COVID too. Both of our units were taking, you know, COVID patients. We had some, but we didn't have the surge that they talked about. And actually I was calling off nurses every shift because we were low census.
0: Hmm. And
1: that kind of brings us to today. So,
0: So, throughout this, so you did get some patients come in. Some COVID positive people came through.
1: Yeah, we had some COVID positive patients, and in fact, at one point, we had more nurses in, techs, healthcare workers in our hospital that had tested positive than patients we had been care that we were caring for in the hospital.
0: So interesting. And so, what did you with those people who came in and tested positive for COVID? What what were their symptoms? How were they doing? Like, what was the sort of progression? And how are they doing now? Did you see, you know, yeah, so etc.
1: I, I feel like I can't speak broadly, because I didn't take care of enough of them, you know, or some people, you know, may have taken care of a huge number of patients, you know, there weren't enough of them to get a really good picture on the typical, you know, COVID patient. But I will say of the ones that came through the ICU um, that I personally saw, there was no one that was someone who was walking around healthy. They all had comorbidities or um, other medical problems that they were dealing with. We had patients that didn't get intubated that came to the ICU for care for a little while because they were kind of touch and go but they didn't get intubated, got better and moved out and went home. We had patients that stayed intubated for a very long time um, and didn't do super well, but some got better, some didn't. So we had a little bit of a broad spectrum of patients. Uh, they kind of present just like, I mean, I can't say just like a patient with influenza, but it was ox- an oxygenation problem. So, just, so
0: difficulty breathing, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And you, and Just going back a little bit, you said that um, most of the patients who came in, you wouldn't call them, like, healthy individuals to start. Like, they had underlying issues.
1: Deconditioned, you know, diabetes, heart disease, those kind of things, yes. Obesity.
0: Interesting. And so, on a typical day... you said your ICU would be full.
1: Yeah. I mean, full, maybe one or two open beds, but typically full. We're not calling off nurses. Typically I'm calling people to see if they can come to work extra.
0: Right. You're not telling people that you don't need them.
1: No, not typically.
0: (laughs) Uh Yeah. Um, That's interesting. Um, You know, in the media, And it seems, I don't, I have to say, I have to be honest that I've really, um, I've had to stop following a lot of mainstream news. New York Times, Washington Post, uh, you name it. I've just had to X out of it because I, it just looks like propaganda to me. It looks like big pharmaceutical corporate propaganda the way that this is not news anymore this is like fear mongering you know mm-hmm. and um it's really it's it's troubling and it's disturbing to me because I'm just not sure you know I, it's it's created such a distrust in me and a loss of faith in journalism and our media that I don't really know where to go from here because it seems like from my perspective, you know, it seems like, um, you know, we're sort of like perpetuating this idea that hundreds of thousands and millions of people are still getting sick. And this is a, a, you know, a horrendous, you know, uh, crisis of humanity that we all are responsible for. And yet I'm just not seeing it in my world. You know, I'm not seeing, I I literally, I, since this thing has started, I don't know anyone who's healthy, who's gotten sick. You know, I don't, I don't know anyone who's gotten sick period, you know, and it's confusing to me when, you know, I think it was a couple months ago now, I mean, here we are at the end of May and we're still, you know, playing this game and, you know, the city of L.A. is completely doubled down, tripled down on. Now they don't want anybody leaving their house without a mask on, you mm-hmm. know, and that it it really enrages me, you know, to this to this point. And it's been, you know, a very deep soul searching thing for me, you know. Um, thank God, my family's healthy. Everyone I know is healthy and happy and doing well for the most part, outside of the fact that we 're all held to this uh paradigm that i 'm not sure who it's benefiting anymore you know And yeah. uh, you know the more statistics I read and the more statistics my wife tells me about, it seems like the people who experience the most severe issues with coronavirus are either. Very elderly, like 85 plus, or people who are who had some sort of underlying issue, whether it's you know diabetic, obese, uh, heart disease, some sort of respiratory illness, etc. Um, and I'm curious, you know, I've heard the whisperings, and you know, it's interesting because this is such a this has turned into such a political argument now you know and it seems like it's this is a left versus the right thing but really you know I'm just coming at this from a human from the human perspective and always wanting to sort of put human well-being and human welfare at the front of my priority list of how we do things Um, and it's difficult to have a conversation with anyone because it seems like anyone on the left you know, wants to go with whatever sort of rhetoric is being put forth by the World Health Organization or the CDC or Bill Gates or Anthony Fauci or whoever, you know, it's, and, you know, everyone on the right is sort of talking about, well, this is starting to encroach upon my inalienable rights and freedoms as a human being. Um and we're all kind of left like in the middle people who are just sort of critical free thinkers who are in tune with their body and sort of have had an intuitive experience with their own health, you know, are going, wait a minute, like we've dealt with viruses, et cetera, forever, you know, and this is just really another virus. Sure. Maybe, I guess maybe it's more serious than others that we've experienced in the past, but, it doesn't really seem that way to me at the end of the day. I don't know. How do you how do you make sense of this right now?
1: Wow. You said a lot right there. <laughs> There's so much I want to talk about. So what you said in the beginning of, you know, kind of not knowing where to go or what to think and not really seeing anybody in your immediate surroundings being sick with this, you know, somebody asked me the other day, why have you put yourself in this situation to talk about this? I'm like, exactly that. Because I work in a hospital, in an ICU, in the largest ICU in our area, and I started to feel like I was being compliant in a narrative that wasn't exactly true, and other people around me can't see that because they don't work in it, and mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to speak up. And so, I i mean, I don't know what to say about what to think about the media or You know, all the narratives that are going on Um, other than I think this is encroaching on our freedom. I do feel that Mm -hmm. because we can see like my governor is in the same position as like L.A., you know, wear a mask. Everybody has to wear a mask. And I saw somebody say something the other day about, um, you know, I was, I think it was a meme saying, you know, I was in a concentration camp and now I'm listening to people whine about not wearing a mask and saying right. that wearing a mask is encroaching on their freedom. Right. Like, well, but then you get down to what is that mask symbolic of? Right. It, it symbolizes fear. And when you're wearing that out in public, it's the visual when they open things up, they've got to open things up eventually. And if people are wearing these masks everywhere, it's a visual to create fear. hmm. One of my friends sent me a voice message yesterday. She was in the grocery store and there was a woman. She was like, there's a woman yelling because her mask fell off. She's yelling, I'm going to die and running out to her car. Like (laughs) that's just one situation. But, you know, this is creating fear for people. And a lot of people deal with anxiety already. And now you've created a whole nother reason for people to be anxious. And is that mask, you know, if the mask is there until a vaccine then that mask is there for a reason. That yeah. mask is there. I have worked with nurses. They require flu shots in the hospital mm. up to a point. And I don't get mine. I don't get mine every year, but we're supposed to wear a mask if we don't get the flu shot. Mm. But I have so many nurse friends that used to not get the flu shot, but they got tired of wearing a mask. So they decided to go for the flu shot. Mm. So could this be the similar situation with this vaccine? And to the point of this virus potentially being, Yet a virus, but different than other viruses, yes. And to the point of it affecting elderly and, you know, people that are deconditioned and things, all right, you know, yes, we know that. And why are we so focused then on just preventing people from getting sick? Why aren't we trying to help people get healthy?
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Does that um, kind
0: of, I don't know, that was a lot. But. No,
1: no, I know. <laughs> I no, you cover I, the things you were talking
0: about? You. And uh, my, my question on the media section of it was like a few months yeah. ago, the New York Times or someone, one of those, like posted this video of a nurse from an ICU in New York City. And she's just like, you know, we're overrun with sick. They've pulled in a trailer where they're, putting all the dead bodies and i'm just like how prevalent is that that's one hospital in new york city which obviously you know new york has been hit maybe the maybe the hardest and not surprisingly because it's so densely populated yeah. in such a small area so that makes sense to me but is is the overarching uh, you know truth that Every hospital in America is overrun with sick and dying people, you know, and clearly it doesn't seem to be the case. You know.
1: No, I think we have to look around us. And that's what I keep telling people. You have to look around you. Mm. We don't live in New York. And someone commented on one of my posts a while back, well, look at you in the country, you know. And we're in here in New York, fearful and, you know, kind of like digging into me about it. I'm like, that's my exact point. I'm not in New York. So why am I made to act like I'm in New York City? Right. Why do I have to wear a mask and social distance? Heck, I'm already social distance out here, um, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> the, that New York Times article you're talking about. Yes. When they posted that, I was immediately just like, what in the world? So they showed a box truck, a refrigerator truck with bodies on it and body bags. And I, I sat there and I counted and I think there were 12 on there. Mm. And so I was thinking New York city, 12 bodies. That Mm. is sad. It's absolutely sad. Death is sad. It is hard. It is something we all have to deal with. The price of living is that, I mean, everyone's going to go through it. But I was looking at that like New York city, that's, You know, to anybody who doesn't work in the healthcare, doesn't, you know, deal with death on a regular basis, they're going to see that and it's going to be a shocking, fear inciting image, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was talking to some of my nurse friends at work about it and we were talking about times when our morgue has been full, Mm. you know, and we've had to get patients out because our morgue has been full. There are times not necessarily pandemic, just things happen where more people die in one day. And I'm not saying that New York isn't overrun or that there weren't a lot of patients. I don't personally know their situation because I haven't seen it with my eyes, but I can say that image didn't really stir much up in me other than, holy cow, people are going to see this and it's going to make them so scared. But to me, I was kind of questioning it. Like, why they put that out there? And why haven't we seen any more images like that since that one that was put out there? Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so why, why aren't we seeing, that's what I'm saying, you know, and I, and like I said, I can't really speak to it now because I've had to discontinue my, my viewing and how much exposure I have to mainstream media because it's just such fear propaganda um but so but it seems like this is all really slowed down you know this is all like the story about it has really slowed down other than we need to keep wearing masks we need to keep social distancing and i'm curious from a medical professional someone in the medical professions perspective when when do we and and this is kind of what what ignites such a fire in my heart is because they've created such a disaster they've created such a human disaster you know by creating this fear and anxiety in people you know and so it's like how do we start to unravel this social distancing stuff like I start to break down into tears when I think about, you know, the world my daughter's going to grow up in, you know, and like going to school and fucking kids are going to be wearing masks and have to be it's it's repulsive to me. It horrifies me. For what? You know. Um from your perspective like how do we begin to sort of unravel this and second part of that question if For the mainstream, the vaccine is the answer. For the people who don't believe that vaccines are the answer, where do we go from there?
1: So as far as unraveling social distancing, I think that you said a mouthful when you said we've created a disaster. I think that absolutely we have created a disaster. Um, Unraveling social distancing I at first I was pretty um uh, pretty skeptical as to how things would look after this because mm. I would go to the store and people were not even looking at you. It was almost like social distancing turned into no eye contact yeah. and it was like scary. Yeah. And then I went to a friend's flower shop a while back and nobody's wearing masks. Everybody's fine because they made it okay not to wear masks. You know, uh-huh. then themselves as the business owners and then this weekend yeah and then this weekend we went to a state park and we went and hiked and it was a blast and there were thousands of people there like I've never seen anything like it and no one was really worried and so how do we unravel it I think Mm -hmm. that we keep speaking out like we do Mm -hmm. talking about because I think a lot of people are not okay with this And I get a lot of messages from people who are not okay with this, but they don't feel like it's okay to not be okay with this because they think they're alone in their thoughts. Mm. But once they hear people speaking out about it and saying, you know, no, no new normal, maybe there's parts of normal we don't want to go back to, but no mask, no, you know, no non social interaction, none Mm. of that. And once they hear that other people are okay with it, I think that that's how we unravel it personally in our own communities. And then, oh, the vaccine part. So yeah. that was the second part of your question. Man, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the, that part kind of kind of scares me because in Illinois specifically, there were already bills on the table in January to mandate vaccines, mm-hmm. even in homeschool children. Uh, including, there was one specific to HPV vaccine. There were bills to mandate those in January. And so this has been an opportunity for our state government to take that a step further and to see, see, this is why we need this. This is why we need to mandate this stuff. And so I think we have to fight that on a state level. And it kind of, it scares me because they're uh, considering DCFS, which is like our local, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but the people that, you know, make sure children are taken care of. Mm. They're saying it's like neglecting your child by not getting them vaccinated. Mm. And so to me, that's pretty scary, but I think we need to talk about that on a state level. We need to make people aware and make people understand that doesn't mean you're anti-vax or anything, even if, even if you want vaccines for your kids, even if you want that, I think that as parents, we need to realize that it is our job to decide what is best for our children. No one else's. And even if you're a person who is, you know, pro getting your kids vaccinated, stand up for those other parents, because there may be something else that they try to go after that you do not want for your child. And it may not be vaccines. It may be something else. But once they start to take control of how you raise your child, they can take that control in any aspect. It doesn't have to be just vaccines.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. Um, so in the state of Illinois, you guys are, what, what is the the current situation? Is it masks everywhere you go? It's At least that's what they're asking for? It's supposed to be. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah.
1: Supposed to be masks wherever you go. Uh, the governor tried to push through an executive order uh, last week where he would um, make it a, a, I don't know, pe- they, people would go to jail if they open their oh, business, Bob. basically, and you would get a fine. That got shot down. There were the, <laughs> the offices of the representatives were flooded with calls. People were opposed to it. So that got shot down. He is still trying to, I think, fine people. To open their businesses before they say he can before he says they can Pritzker our governor um or I don't know dictator I guess you yeah. would call him that Island. but yeah but uh anyway so we're kind of in a a limbo right now I guess the month is ending and I think we're supposed to start opening up in June but he's still trying to kind of push that back so hmm. in a limbo
0: um and so what is what is your hospital or your unit uh what is, what are you guys looking at are you guys taking it just one day at a time or do you have sort of a plan of i mean <laughs> what's the status there
1: so we actually started doing elective cases again on may 11th we kind of just sat back and waited for a while and finally they were like, you know, we got to start doing something again. So we started the elective cases back up. Uh we still aren't allowing visitors. That's another thing that's really been bothersome to me is not allowing visitors in the hospital to see patients. If you are a trauma, you can cut you can have a visitor come in while you're in the ICU. If you're dying, you can have two visitors one at a time, which makes no sense to me. Like why can't both of them come and support each other? But no visitors. So if you have open heart surgery, don't get a visitor there with you. And 72 hours before for COVID and then quarantine themselves.
0: I'm sorry. Before their surgeries. You broke up for a second. Can you say that part again?
1: Okay, so before their elective cases. They are coming in to be tested for COVID 72 hours before and then oh, okay. quarantining themselves.
0: Okay. Um, so, when you guys were, when this thing was like starting to simmer and this like coronavirus talk was starting to happen, did you guys have like a plan of attack initially or? Did you get word from someone, or how does that work?
1: Yeah, so I think they started meeting maybe a month or two before we had the state shutdown. Mm. So they were meeting about it, but we didn't have a pandemic plan in place like a year before this or anything. The pandemic plan started when the pandemic happened. Um, Did
0: you start? Was it like February or?
1: I think they started meeting back in maybe January. I'd have to ask for sure, but I I am pretty sure it was like mid January, which was interesting to me. I kind of felt like as a hospital, wouldn't we think of that before then, but I guess we didn't. Um, but yeah, so they just kind of started handing down protocols and plans for what we would do. Those plans through March changed daily. It was kind of every day like, oh, I thought this is what we were doing. No, we're doing this now. And plans Hmm. for what we were doing with PPE, how to use PPE, how many times you were supposed to use it, uh, how we were sanitizing it, all those things were kind of evolving for quite some time.
0: Hmm. Um, And so you kept planning for or expecting or gearing up for the surge of cases, Yes. So what's the population where you're at or that the hospital serves?
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, I need like my husband on this one. I'm upwards terrible at population.
0: Upwards of 10,000?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We serve a really. I don't know. Okay. I'll have, to, I'll have to get back to you on that. We serve a large area. We're in central Illinois. So I would say we serve probably, um, I'll say I work in Champaign County. And we serve all the surrounding counties as well. There are a lot of um, uh, access hospitals that come to our hospital for better, or not better, but more intense services if they need them.
0: That makes sense. So as you guys were preparing, you and like you said, you shut down so there were no more elective uh, patients coming in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: so that you could keep it all clear for coronavirus?
1: Yes. Uh, the thought was, one, not using ventilators, because if we need all the ventilators, you know, patients who are having surgeries go on a vent for a time being. So that was one thought, keeping beds open. And then in general, I think not exposing people if we did get a surge.
0: Okay. So. And then – um. Were, when you did have patients come in, were ventilators useful?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, if you can't oxygenate someone with non-invasive means, ventilators always the option. I mean, there's always a point where you just can't. I mean, we try, you try to use OptiFlow, which is like a nasal, uh, mechanism for providing oxygen, greater oxygen support or BiPAP, CPAP, that kind of thing. But if you can't oxygenate someone that way, you have, you know, ventilators, the only option.
0: Hmm. Now, have you read some of these stories about how ventilators were causing more damage than they were helping in a lot of these COVID patients?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in any situation, in any case, you know, you you want to avoid putting someone on a ventilator if you can. I mean, that's, that's a kind drastic of
0: drastic measure.
1: It's a stand. you know, you don't want to put someone on a ventilator unless you have to. And so I, I kind of had a hard time some with some of the studies, cause I can't imagine places just going to a ventilator like this without thinking about, you know, a non-invasive measure, but At the same time, the fear around this virus has been so great. Maybe there might have been some cases where they didn't do BiPAP or CPAP because they didn't want to aerosolize the virus. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but I can see that line of thinking because the fear was pretty great. I mean, can I just like go on a tangent for a second? So we had Mm -hmm. patients come in with symptoms of a heart attack and Mm -hmm. elevated troponins, which is an enzyme that's elevated typically with heart attack like largely elevated numbers and so these patients had also presented with shortness of breath and so we had patients that we were certain were having a heart attack but they didn't go to cath lab which is where you would go if you have a heart attack to get you know a stent placed or check out you know if your coronary arteries are blocked they didn't go until after they were ruled out for covid because they were short of breath and what if it's covid and people were just fearful. And so I knew that that's happening in our hospital. I don't know. These larger areas could have had other things happening. I don't know that speculation, but it's just one instance, one thing that I observed happening around the virus. And every week I would go and we'd have another scenario like that. And There were several nurses I work with that were pretty upset about the whole deal. You know, it's not right.
0: So they were upset that the treatment protocol was on hold because of the potential uh, thought that the person could be positive for coronavirus. Yeah,
1: delayed care. Delayed care, basically.
0: Did those people end up, were they actually having heart attacks or were they (laughs) expecting... so it wasn't that they had coronavirus expressing symptoms of a heart attack
1: yeah and it got to the point you know the ed would bring a patient up that was on rule out covid isolation but were also having cardiac symptoms and we'd be like this person doesn't have covid like what the heck are we doing and like we knew they like oh. one example like a patient got brought up to me that was rule out covid and well, he had a cough, so we swabbed him, and so I talked to the patient, and the patient tells me, "Well, oh, I've smoked <laughs> for fifty years. I've had this cough for ten years." And I'm like, "Talk to your patient. You know,
0: right? right. He
1: does. You know, doesn't have COVID. He's a smoker." <laughs> <laughs> oh God, having a yeah. heart attack.
0: <laughs> um. So. so I'm curious too, in your experience, you know, there's been a lot of another part of the the fear propaganda seems to be this idea that there's all of these like mysterious symptoms that coronavirus creates you know there's this really it's a fascinating ongoing case of this actor nick cordero who had to have his leg amputated because of covid related complications and uh, he's basically on life support at this point, and they've had to scrape out his lungs multiple times now for whatever reason. And they're saying, and the first two times he went to the hospital, this has been like months. This has been like a months-long story, kind of since the beginning. He's like a Broadway actor, um, et cetera, et cetera. He's he's pretty well known, um, and he just descended into this you know, horrific state, you know, his health is just completely dissolved. He's now on life support. He's a pretty young guy. He was one of the sort of like young and healthy COVID, you know, stories, um, where they literally have talked about his leg had to be amputated because of coronavirus complications. Um, and the first two times, so he was tested twice and tested negative for coronavirus, the first two tests. And then he was tested a third time and finally tested positive. So I'm curious, just in your experience with this or through your life as sort of an observant human uh, turned, you know, medical professional ICU nurse, is there anything in this to suggest that coronavirus can cause all of these sort of tangential issues
1: okay so first of all with people who are young and healthy can get COVID absolutely just like people who are young and healthy can get influenza sure it's not common that somebody becomes the ICU who is young and healthy with influenza but it happens same with COVID I mean same with anything freak things happen you know things happen.
0: Yeah, and of course.
1: anytime you're in the ICU requiring that level of support on, you know, pressors or medications to help raise your blood pressure, typically, you know, ventilator support, all of those things, there can be a cascade of events of other things happening. And so is it the COVID itself potentially? Is it just the fact that your body is going into a decline, and other things are happening. So, a lot of times, when you have an infection of that severity that requires ICU level of care, your organs aren't acting appropriately, and you can go into multi-system organ failure, where your clotting factors don't work properly, um, your liver's not functioning properly, your kidneys aren't functioning properly. Whenever that happens, you know your body can throw clots. You could, you know have a situation where you have a clot to a leg or something and have, you know, have to have an amputation or have to have Mm -hmm. other medication to remove that. And so is it COVID? Is it just the cascade of events that happens with an affection of that level? I can't say, but I can say it's hard. I guess the thing that I keep coming back to is perspective as an ICU nurse this isn't shocking to me because I work in it. I've worked with sick people for 14 years, but now the general public is exposed to everything that we're exposed to in the ICU because they're seeing it on their TV. Mm. And so it sounds extremely concerning to them. And it is, I mean, absolutely. It's concerning because he's, you know, fighting for his life. Right. But does it happen in other cases with other illnesses? Absolutely. People just don't know about it because it's not on the news.
0: Hmm. Interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so the last thing I want to talk to you about, which you sort of hit on a little bit, uh, which I really appreciate is, um, you know, this idea of the new normal and really rephrasing it as the new extreme. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, as someone who works in probably the most, you know, volatile medical uh, situation you could find yourselves in, and in the intensive care unit, I mean, you're seeing some of the most extreme cases, right, of people who have experienced trauma or incredibly sick, etc. You're seeing those people. And I'm curious how you know, your, your philosophy or your outlook on the new normal actually being the new extreme is how that's related to sort of business as usual as an ICU nurse and sort of, you know, what you guys come into contact with and how you deal with that even before coronavirus, you know. Um, I'm interested sort of in your, your perspective of, you know how life sort of functions and how you uh handle yourself you know being that you're exposed to some of the you know craziest health situations that you know your your area can see
1: that's a really deep question uh i would say i've worked in icu for 14 years like i said like i said and i think i have grown a little bit I went from you know the new nurse this is exciting to holy cow this is really scary you know and I had I've had situations come up where I've taken care of patients that things have happened to them that have caused me some anxiety because I'm like this could happen to me you know and then I think kind of my faith in the Lord is the one thing that I always fall back on Mm. That's the one thing I always fall back on is just my faith. But I guess in general, in life, I just have realized, you know, I don't know my backstory at all, if you know it, but I had a brush with cancer when my daughter was 18 months and that really changed a lot for me. It made me realize, you know, how I want to live my life and life is unpredictable We never know what's going to happen. And I think when you look at this whole coronavirus situation in particular, it's a lot of people realizing that they're not in control of as much as they thought they were.
0: Mm.
1: And I think that realization has hit some people pretty hard. And for me, I've known that for quite some time because I work in the hospital. I've had those experiences in my life. And honestly, it's nice to be in the driver's seat sometimes, but sometimes also it's nice not to be in the driver's seat and just live your life. And I guess real, like if we're not out living our life and we're just stuck at home, you know, I said this the other day on a, on a video on IG. And I was just kind of like, you know, we need to look at what life means to us, what we really feel like living means. Hmm. And are you more scared of, you know, not fully living your life, whatever that means to you or having less breasts, less heartbeats? Like does life mean yeah. to you just breasts and heartbeats? Is it just a culmination of that? Or is it actually going out, doing, being with your family, those things? So I don't know. That was really kind of a round about answer, but.
0: No, I thought that was such a perfect answer. It was such a perfect answer. I mean, yesterday I saw your post from yesterday. Um, I was, I felt super heavy yesterday. I was really depleted emotionally. Um, you know, my wife and I got to take a long walk on the beach on Saturday morning. And which was beautiful because we hadn't been to the beach in months. And it's, you know, one of our favorite places to go. And we're out walking and and we got there super early in the morning and people started to come sort of as we were finishing our walk. And I started seeing all these people walking with the face masks on and I'm just like, Oh my God, it's such a symbol of fear. And, you know, and it's really disturbing to me, you know, it's like disturbed me to this level. And yesterday I was just, I was really feeling this, the Memorial day, man. And like, how this is this day of, honoring and celebrating, you know, the warriors who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for really for the freedom and the Liberty that we all just fucking take for granted, you know, and your post hit right on that. And I was like, you know, and I sort of had, I couldn't really post anything because there was so much like anger and, and sort of grief wrapped up in what I was feeling you know that i was like most people and it's interesting the way you put it of you know this has really shown people that you're not in control you know nothing in your life is really in your control other than sort of what you can do like how you eat how you move how you relate with other people like those things are the only things that we can control yes. you know um but a lot of people are are really so wrapped up in this whole thing. And they're in this state of fear. And it's like, most of these people are the people who aren't even really living to begin with, you know, and who are, Uh, yeah. (laughs) And like you said, you know, it's like, Oh, well, can I just live to be 75? And you know, my heart keeps beating and I keep breathing no matter how shitty my quality of life is, you know? I think that's a great amount of people out there, you know, who are just sort of complacent in their lives, you know, and take it all for granted, you know, and, um, and I've had this thing, and I talked to Dr. Tommy John about this as well, because I had the same feeling, you know, because some people have commented on my things like, you know, in my other podcast, I have this podcast with Mike Tyson, and a lot of times we end up talking about death, and life and how precious this thing is that we all get to experience and someone was like you're you're a phony cuz you talk about how precious life is yet you're saying that you know one person's life you know one person's right to be free and to be able to work and you know go back to work and you know not wear a mask that's you know you're more important you're you know you're a hypocrite and i was like no What I really am is I've been taking life really seriously for a long time now. And I'm just trying to express to you how seriously I take life. Because when something like this comes along, that, you know, we start to think, you know, it's sort of this weird paradox, this twisting of the psyche, where you think that, you know, obeying your master and wearing a mask and shutting down the economy and isolating yourself in your home, that's taking life seriously because you're taking coronavirus seriously. But really, you're, you're losing sight of the fact that our life is to be taken seriously from the start because this is a life and death experience at all times. You know, we've been sort of coaxed into this fantasy of comfort through civilization, you know. Because we have everything at our fingertips, you know, and we don't have to worry about anything. And, oh, now here comes the big bad coronavirus. So I'm going to start taking life seriously now. And by that, I mean, I'm going to lock myself in my house. I'm going to wear a mask and I'm going to wear gloves and I'm going to protect myself and everyone else at all costs. And it's, it's fascinating how that's been twisted. But
1: only from coronavirus.
0: Right, right. (laughs) Not from anything else. Yeah. Um, well, I really appreciate your time, Rita. And, uh, you know, thanks for hanging in with the technical difficulties, the, the powers that be didn't want us to have the convo. (laughs) We got it. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, well, why don't you just, uh, if there's anything else you want people to know or where they can find you and follow you, that would be great as well. And I can I'll have that all in the show notes also. So please share.
1: Yeah. So you can find me at Rita Rogers co on Instagram and Facebook. It's R I T A R O G E R S C O. And you can find me Rita Rogers com. So awesome. I appreciate being on here and having this conversation with you. So.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'll have to have you back. Hopefully when, uh, I don't know. Maybe when we move into the next phase of this thing, you can give us an update on what's going on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Ebb and Flow podcast. Stay in the gratitude, y'all. Keep meditating. Keep praying. Keep exercising. Do whatever you can do to get in the sun. It's vitally important right now. Lots of love to you all. Until next time, I'm out of here. Peace.